Hi everyone, welcome back to the Caffeinated Brown Girl podcast. My name is Pallavi um, and this podcast is meant to share stories of people who are doing amazing things in their life while, you know, still figuring out the nuances of what life is just like you and me. Today's episode is a really, really exciting one and I know I say that for a lot of episodes but this one is a really special one because I interview someone who was one of my inspirations for starting my own podcast and that is no one other than Anika Sharma who is one of the co-hosts of the Work They See podcast. She's also an author and um, she also works in the health communications field so she's really doing a lot and in this episode we talk about podcasting, we talk about being an author and the process of getting published and we also you know talk about um, balancing it all because it is a lot of work and giving your 100% to each of them and then your personal life is a lot of work so I personally learned a lot from this episode. It was a great conversation. Um, she's as down to earth, you know, as you listen to the episodes of the work they see. And if you haven't heard of their podcast, like, um, I'm not sure what you're doing. Please go listen to it right now because it is one of my favorite ones. So I know you're going to enjoy this episode. Um, I've also received a lot of great feedback from you all who have been listening to the podcast and i just wanted to know i'm really grateful for that um you know sometimes i think what i'm doing is not good enough or you know why i'm doing this but then i you know hear my audience feedback and it just kind of reminds me my purpose so thank you for that um and if you're listening to this on apple podcasts um you can always leave a review that really really helps um, so if you have that chance, please, please do that and do follow me at caffeinated brown girl on Instagram. That's where you can stay updated about, you know, new things coming up and just some fun content as well. So without further ado, let's get into my intro section and then we'll get into the episode. So starting off with my achievement of the week. So this past week, I started a psychology research boot camp. So basically, it's 8 to 5 every day, which, you know, waking up at 7.30 or around that time is an achievement by itself. Um, but basically, I'm doing some research in the psychology field, like focusing on environmental research. And the reason I wanted to do this is because um, I may eventually want to go back to school for industrial psychology. And so this is in that area, so I thought it would be a good way to, you know, see if this is something I like. And it's a boot camp, so it's only two weeks long, so it's not exactly representative of grad school and that life, but it just kind of gives me a glimpse. And so being able to do that 8 to 5 has been really tiring, but it has also been an achievement because I've made it through the first week and then I have one more week of it left. Um, in terms of my gratitude of the week, um, we talked about this a little bit in this episode, but I'm really grateful for the communities that we have online. Like, you know, there are so many Facebook groups, there are so many Instagram accounts, blogs, um, where you can just kind of connect with others, um, listen to their experiences, share your own, and then there are people supporting you. And I think those communities have led to a lot for example a lot of my guests that i'll be having 
on the podcast in the next few months um, are people I found through these groups and I wouldn't have known about them if I had just googled it right because these are communities that are there but they might not be as widely you know publicized when you find it you never want to leave and so I'm just kind of grateful um, for those especially at this time um and finally my recommendation of the week now this one is a special one and um kind of has a nuance to it so my recommendation of this week is ruafsa so if you don't know what ruafsa is it's basically this red syrup thing um that i mix with water and call it lal sharbat because lal means um red and sharbat's just you know like a sweet drink a summery drink and i used to drink this all the time in high school when i used to come back home from school uh, at like 3 p.m and where i grew up the temperature was really hot like upwards of 100 degrees in the summer so my mom would always have a chilled glass of ruafsa or sharbat ready for me and i went to the indian store last week and i you know bought it and i've been doing it every day which i don't know if that's okay to do but i've been doing that so if you have an indian store or like a south asian grocery store next to you like would definitely recommend checking this out i know some people like mixing it um with milk or putting it on the ice cream so you can try that too that's not really my cup of tea um but you know just the syrups amazing so definitely give this a try so this has been a long intro um for me like five minutes is long so i'm not gonna ramble anymore um but you know it's a great episode um please please enjoy and please stay connected with me um hi anika thank you for being here on my podcast today i'm so excited to be here thank you for having me yes of course um would you like to introduce yourself Sure. My name is Anika Sharma, and I am a health communications project manager at Wild Cornell Medicine by day. And by night, I actually have two side hustles. I am an author who is agented and published. My first book came out in 2015, and I actually recently pulled it off the shelves um, through my publisher because they were going downhill really fast, and I was afraid they would take me with them. But I have a three-book deal for next year, and the first book will come out um, sometime in early 2021. Um, out of those three, and I'm working on a couple other manuscripts to send over to my agent. And my other side hustle is that I'm also a podcast host like yourself, and I host a podcast called The Woke Daisy, which is geared towards South Asians and is really focused on the issues that we face that we only talk about behind closed doors. So we've really had a lot of talks about infertility and LGBTQ issues. We recently did an episode about Indo-Caribbean identity because that's not something people talk about much on the di- like the diaspora and they're really a forgotten population and so yeah that's kind of a little bit about me and you know in my spare time I'm trying to plan a wedding and get through lockdown (laughs) um yeah you're doing the most honestly (laughs) it's it's a little stressful sometimes like today I was just telling uh, I was just telling you you know we had um you know podcast stuff going on I had a late day my day job and then I had to go run on the treadmill scarf down a sandwich and then come here for this so yeah you know it's some days are a little crazier than others but it's it's definitely a lot of fun it's a good life yeah um and I know I told you about this but like your podcast is what actually inspired me to start my own and I think I remember last year when I was interning 
I was so bored. I was like, okay, I need some podcasts to listen to. And that's when I got into them. But I couldn't find anything that was like geared towards like me. So I just went on Spotify, looked for it. And I think this was sometime in July or August of last year. And then I came across um, the work they see. And since then, I have been hooked. I'm like, it's been, I don't know, like just seeing yourself be heard and talked about I think that was really inspiring and um so you know I was inspired by that too because in college I've been very heavily involved with like an Indian student association and so just for me my main aim was like combining my passion for community and then combining my passion to like you know like talk about those things together and bringing those so thank you for like inspiring me for that. Oh, my heart just exploded. No, that makes me so happy. You know, it's been such a cool journey and, and that's exactly what we hope to inspire. So we're so happy that it's working and that people like you are also feeling heard and represented and more courageous also to be able to stand up and tell your own stories, you know, because that's, I guess the whole point of all of this is not to take up the entire stage, but to make the stage a little bit bigger for everybody else to join in. Mm-hmm. And so it's been really amazing. And, and I'm so, so touched that, you know, it kind of, helped you on your own you know your own journey in a way yep um so kind of going into like your podcast um would you like to give us a background of how um you and Nehal started it like what inspired both of you to get together and start this podcast Nehal and I have kind of a really funny meet cute story so I am a member of a group on Facebook that has about 20,000 South Asian women in it. And I was thinking about this podcast. My best friend, who is very big into heartfulness meditation, was like, you know, Hanukkah, okay, you should start a podcast. You have a big mouth. You just you have a lot to say. <laughs> and I was like, no, well, you know, what do I, I don't know. And, and I wasn't really sure because I wasn't sure what angle I wanted to take it from. Um, but the idea sort of stuck. And two weeks later, on a whim, I posted in probably January of last year um, and put this in this group. And I said, hey, I'm thinking about like sex in the city meets, you know, the view with younger South Asian women and talking about all the things that really kind of grind our gears about being South Asian and, and all the things that we never really got to talk about growing up or we only talked about with our friends really quietly and things that really bother us about it. And I got something like 700 likes on that post, which was insane. And then I put in, I didn't know how to filter through people who were interested. So I started a Google form and I got 65 messages about being interested. And then that went to 45, 50 responses on the Google form, which we eventually whittled down to six. And so I had my brother who is smarter than me in all different ways than I am. So he's like more business development minded. He is a hedge funder. He is incredibly bright in, you know, completely 180 degree opposite kind of way than I am. So I had him look through them too. So together we whittled it down to uh, six uh, co-hosts total, including me. And then, you know, we worked on it for a couple of months. We worked almost till May and then... Um, we just could not get a direction together because there's so many co-hosts. And now that looking back, now that I know what I know about starting a podcast, six is way too many to do anything with. And three of them also had other projects, so they dropped off. So that left me, Nehal, and another person. And we, um, you know, Reisham, and the three of us started. And then after season one, Reisham wanted to start her own business, and she had 
a lot of uh, commitments on her plate at that point. So she was like, I don't know if I can really dedicate as much time as you guys are, um, you know, kind of hoping for. So, um, you know, there was no like animosity. We we're just like, go do your thing, go kick ass, you know, we'll be here. And uh, Nehal and I decided to move forward. My brother produces. And the podcast sort of took on a life of its own. The first couple episodes were a little bit shaky in terms of production. I think every podcast is like yeah. that, you know, every, every yeah. project in the world is like that. You look back once you've gotten better and you're like, oh God, I started like that, you know? So uh, the first five episodes were actually the first five topics that all six of us had come up with at first. We all brainstormed and those five were the first things that came to mind one after another. And apparently they align with another South Asian podcast that's out there. I actually haven't ever heard it to be honest, but um, but I think, unfortunately, our podcast episodes, they both were like exactly the same. Um, but then eventually we started putting things out every week, which is a hard turnaround. Yeah. Um, but because of that, we got to start exploring topics and we really rounded a bend um, in season two with me and Nahal probably about halfway through where we were like, no, we know what we're doing now. We know exactly what way we want to go with this. So, you know, now... My brother, Shri, is the producer and business development. Nehal does a lot of the marketing and the content creation. And I do a lot of the writing and the hard conversations and, you know, making sure guests are okay halfway through the episode when it's really emotional. I'm like the one who's like, all right, yeah. pause, let's check how everyone's doing, you know. Um, you know, how else can we grow the business? Things like that. So, so that's sort of been the journey so far. We hit our one-year mark today. And we hit... Um, Thank you. And uh, yeah, so far we've done three seasons, 40 episodes, and um, actually more than 40. We have done 40 full-length episodes, and then we had the most insane push over the holidays. We did 12 days of the Woke Basie, and we pushed out an episode a day. Mm -hmm. I remember that. Love that. <laughs> I wouldn't highly recommend that to any podcaster. Yeah. <laughs> it was really hard. Uh, there was a lot of late nights and... Mm -hmm. uh, you know, mental cracks during the holidays, but, uh, but we did it. So yeah, probably total of 52 episodes. Mm -hmm. I think um, what you said about like the time commitment, I think there's so much that goes into it that yeah. is on the back end um, that you really have to have the time to be able to give like your fullness to it. So I think that's definitely very true. Yeah, you know, it's such a it's such a process and people think, okay, well, just record your voice and put it out there. But yeah, you, you can absolutely do that. That is essentially the podcast, but then there comes promoting if you want to do that. If you want to grow further, then you have to take more and more time, more and more steps, more and more money mm -hmm. to keep things afloat. So, you know, it's definitely a growth process and it's definitely been something that we've had to learn and do a lot of research on and figure out for ourselves and put all of our talents together because we all are good at different things. Yeah. And um, we've had to figure that out. We'd also have to figure out who was really bad at things and how to make up for it. So, um, and you know, it's, and with Nahal, like I mentioned, we met on a Facebook group. Yeah. Nahal and I have met in person twice. And so, you know, we're best friends. She's going to mm -hmm. be a bridesmaid in my wedding. Uh -huh. We're like super close, but it was a friendship created out of the internet. And yeah. this business and this company now has been created out of the internet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that just shows like how powerful the internet can be. I know, be. I know. Networking is amazing. And, you know, it's, it's amazing how you can, you can connect with people all across the globe now and and the beauty of podcasting is that too you know is that people get to hear your voice and they feel connected with the stories that you tell 
exactly um so then like just coming up with like uh, episode ideas or finding guests like what is your process for that how between the two of you um you kind of brainstorm and stuff so Nehal and I both have interests that are similar but also different in um sort of different angles so Nehal loves she's an influencer in and of itself she's a micro influencer she has uh, which counts as like around 10,000 followers or more so She's in that um, kind of realm already of fashion and beauty and lifestyle, and she loves all of that. And I don't necessarily have a profile quite like that. I love healthcare, which is what I do for my day job, and I love paying attention to social justice issues, and I like reading the news, and I read books like I'm such a nerd. So we kind of have different really big interests in life and so we kind of blend them together i also pay attention to showbiz maybe not quite as much as she does she reads maybe not quite as much as i do so it you know it's something where we looked at each other and we said we want to be all-encompassing we want to be both light and heavy we don't want it to be the kind of podcast that you can't listen to on a bad day you know and we wanted to be comprehensive, as comprehensive as we possibly could mm-hmm. at that moment um, with as much knowledge as we have. And we're not experts in everything, so it takes a lot of prep, mm-hmm. but we kind of bounce ideas off each other. We have a lot of interests that are similar, like you know, um, women's health and sexual health and reproductive rights are three things that all both of us are incredibly passionate about. We really, really push that on everybody. Not you know, go have sex with anyone, but just do it safely and be <laughs> yeah. empowered with your body, be confident mm-hmm. and own your story. And so, you know, we have a lot of talks about that kind of thing. And then, you know, she'll say, oh, I really like this person. Did you watch this on the news? Or did you hear this Bollywood thing is happening? And, um, you know, likewise, I'll be like, hey, did you hear that there's this atrocity happening in this part of the world and it involves South Asians? Maybe we should kind of talk about this, you know, and we get ideas everywhere. You know, it's just sort of a part of being a creative is that when you watch a TV show or you watch a movie, suddenly, uh, you know, it lights a spark and you're like, oh, this would be a great episode. Let's find out people who are knowledgeable in that topic area, do a little research and reach out to them and see if they're willing to be a part of it. Yep, I think that's good that um, both of you have somewhat different interests, but have that working relationship where you're willing to like bounce ideas off each other because I feel like if that dynamic isn't there, then you know, like it's gonna show. But I can tell like um, that your episodes are all encompassing because, especially like as you talked about, like when you did the 12 uh, episodes consecutively, yeah. I think those were a little more lighthearted, but they still talked about a lot of important things because I remember there was one on makeup products and I recently went back and listened to it because I was looking for um yeah. oh that's so nice I'm glad people are actually using our uh, our uh, suggestions and mm-hmm. random ramblings yeah. I guess <laughs> but I think like going back and listening to that and then going back and listening to some of the more serious topics and then you know um finding I guess a friend or some expertise in that through your guests too I think that's like helped uh, me and I'm, I'm sure like other listeners as well so um that's really interesting to know like how holistic um the entire process is yeah thanks we definitely try and you know reach for a happy medium somewhere there's we also do a point person thing so Neha will take charge of the episodes she's interested in i'll take charge of things that are a little bit heavier because i have a better background to deal with that so she is like you know i'm not necessarily always the softest person so she'll like laugh and she'll say you know i'm not always i'm a little less sensitive so 
go and, you know, talk to them or deal with the heavy stuff and then I'll deal with the lighthearted stuff or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, and so we always have a point person who takes charge of the episode as well. So they're mm -hmm. the, in charge of writing um, any script work or questions and, and handling the guest as well. Yeah. Um, so we definitely divvy up the responsibilities mm -hmm. so that it's, it's more manageable. Yeah, that's good. Like playing up to your strengths. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So um, just kind of going into like, what's your favorite thing about doing podcasts? And what are some of the challenges that you've experienced like in the past one year? Oh, gosh. So favorite things. There's so many. I love the fact that communications, which is what I love doing. I write, I work in health communications. Um, you know, uh, at my day job. So being able to do all of that, play to my strengths, but also to create a community around that is probably my favorite thing in the world. I love getting messages and, you know, DMs and emails that say, oh my gosh, I just listened to you. And I feel finally like somebody finally understood where I was coming from. And we've been getting more and more of those lately as the podcast has been growing. And that has been so humbling and makes us want to be better. But on you know more of a personal note, it's something that I've always wanted to create it because I grew up in a very white town. Mm -hmm. So um, I grew up in a college town. I was telling you earlier I went to Penn State. My dad yeah. works there. Um, so you know I grew up without that many brown people around me at all, and so I always felt very misunderstood and very confused. And um, to be able to create something where someone who also felt that way is like, oh my gosh, I have a home. You know that's that's wonderful. That's my favorite part, bar none. The challenges over the last year have largely been just being a woman who's juggling a lot of things at once. Yeah. And I think any woman can relate to that. Any person can relate to that, especially someone trying to do all of their dreams. And any woman is already put up to this very high standard, right? We have to have a home life. You also have to have personal life. You have to be good at everything. And then on top of that, being a South Asian woman, the standards are infinitely high. It's very, very hard to match them and beat them. My mom was just telling me that yesterday. I was, I had set the table, but I didn't clean it up after we'd eaten. And, you know, she was like, you can't just be good at professionally. You have to be perfect at everything. And I was like, oh man, my mom is putting this pressure on me, let alone everybody else, you know? So it's one of those things where, uh, you know, the last year that has been tough, setting a bar and, trying to meet it all the time, but also understanding that there's going to be days where you fall short and balancing all the things has been a little bit rough uh, at times. You know, uh, now, especially with lockdown, it's been a little bit crazier because it's the best analogy I heard was actually uh, at a presentation that they did at Cornell. One of the psychiatrists was talking about women during the, the lockdown and she was saying, women are taught from birth to be juggling a lot of balls all the time. And now we have, we're expected to juggle all of those while our floor is shaking. And I was like, oh my gosh, you just described my life. So that's kind of how I feel right now. The floor is shaking. I'm juggling a lot of things, but that's probably the biggest challenge. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the benefit outweighs it. So it's totally worth it. Yeah, I'm sure. I think, um, as you said, there's like, you know, you're already doing so much. And then um, with the pandemic, there's also, I think, like a mental aspect to it too. Like for me, I know personally, Initially, I was just so like lost in my thoughts that I was like, okay, I can't focus on like school or I can't focus on doing the podcast or like I stopped listening to podcasts for like two weeks. Yeah. Because, um, <laughs> most of them were just talking about this and I was like, okay, you know, that's an overload. But I think, um, as you said, like juggling a lot of things is something that we've kind of grown up with and um, 
and it's like a lot of expectations that we set up yeah. ourselves and you know obviously other people have them too so no definitely very understandable but I think that you've been doing a great job with it so oh thank you that means so much yeah it's been it's been a little bit of a doozy sometimes you know I thought that we had a lot on our plate between the podcast writing and work and then getting married through in like one more monkey wrench and the whole thing which is great don't get don't get me wrong I really hope my fiance doesn't listen to this and be like wow you think I'm just some random monkey wrench in your life but you know it's one of those things where you know it's just one more thing to do and one more person to be for someone else and um you know that's wonderful and it's great on its good days but on its bad days it can feel like a lot and so yeah that's that's definitely been a challenge but you know it's all good it's like you said you know you have to kind of recalibrate every once in a while and figure out where you stand and everything yep um so with your podcast like what what's the future direction like um so the future right now we are doing a couple of workshops soon on brand strategy and beginning a podcast and we also have a, a couple different um, ideas for season four will be beginning in the middle of June. And we have some pretty massive guests lined up already, which is awesome. And we just keep planning on growing. We have a lot of different business directions to go in. We also are starting a newsletter soon that is going to kind of summarize a lot of what's happening in South Asia. It'll be weekly and eventually it'll probably move to daily if, depending on how much interest we get. Um, but it's just going to be like a summary of all the things that are happening and what, why it's important. And then of course, you know, give any insight into our episodes as well. Mm-hmm. That's exciting. Like more content. So I'm, yeah. I'm very it in, but yeah, I think it's really exciting to see how you're branching out. Um, and this is a whole, whole brand right now. So super excited to see you. Thank you. I am too. I have no idea where it's going after this. So we'll see. <laughs> And that's and that's okay too, right? Yeah. Find out, um, you know, as you're going through it. So yeah, that's the beauty of it. You know, you get to kind of carve your own path, and and that's that's amazing because we get to kind of decide which direction we want to go in and what we want to elaborate on, what matters to us, and what doesn't anymore. So we can cut the kind of the the weight off, and then go in a direction that makes us feel really happy. So that's awesome. Yeah. So um, what would, I know you mentioned about like the workshop that you're holding soon, but what would be a couple of tips that you would give to someone who's, you know, thinking about starting a podcast? My tip generally in life and with starting things like this is that you have to go in a little bit fearlessly. You cannot be constantly worrying about how it's going to be received because it'll keep you from doing well when you're trying. So you just have to jump in and do it and then learn as you go and you'll be just fine. Like, you know, it's one of those leap in the net will appear kind of moments. It's definitely something that people should try and do and then they'll see if it's right for them and how they can get better if they want to continue doing it. Mm-hmm. I think that's great advice because I you know I'm a planner. <laughs> so that Oh, me too. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, when I was like thinking about it. Like I thought about it for like a couple of months, but then I was like, I'm only thinking about it. I'm not doing anything and I'm just planning and planning and planning and I'm not, you know, doing anything about it. So one day I just said, okay, you know, let's just make an episode. Let's just see where it goes. Like 
what's the worst that could happen, right? So Yeah, you know, you're not going to bring the entire world down by trying to do an episode <laughs> and then deciding it didn't work mm-hmm. or deciding you could have been better. It's not going to bring the whole world down. It's least of all going to bring your world down. So it's just fine. Just do it and try it and trust in your stories and trust that it's going to, you know, work for somebody. Someone's going to relate, you know? Yeah. So that's probably my biggest piece of advice. Yeah, I think that's great. So changing directions a little bit and talking about um, your journey as an author. So what, you know, got started, got you started on your writing journey? So my parents have been bothering me about being a writer since I was little. I have um, actually... It's so funny. I am literally staring at my desk um, where I have a book that I wrote at age seven, a book. It's like, you know, construction paper talking about endangered species. So, um, you know, I think my parents were always like, you should be a writer. You should be a storyteller. That's what you do. And I was like, no, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a doctor. And let this be known that this is one of those cases that your parents sometimes are right. Um, because I wanted to be in science and I did science undergrads and even grad school I did an MED and then I did an an MPH and so um, both my under uh, master's degrees were also sort of science-based and it still wasn't hitting the spot the way that writing did and the way storytelling did and so with writing I had about six seven weeks between quitting my job and then starting my first master's degree in education. And so I was like, I'm going to write a book. And my parents were like, finally, she's going (laughs) to write a book. And I actually did. I wrote the entire thing in six weeks and I sat on it for the length that I was in grad school. I just didn't have time to do anything with it. I didn't know how to get published. And then by, uh, so my grad program was a year. So I finished in August And I told my dad, I said, you need to give me five months. I need to polish this book up and then I'm going to query it to agents. So querying to agents involves writing uh, a letter that's like a pitch and then giving them a synopsis, like a cut and dry one page summary of your book from start to finish. And then however many pages they request. Now, depending on the agent, depending on the genre, they ask for different amounts. Sometimes it's as little as five pages and sometimes it's as much as maybe three chapters. Mm -hmm. So you put together these packages, send them out to agents, and then you wait for what seems like an ungodly amount of time. And about two months after I submitted my query, this agent responded in January and she said, I'd like to read your whole book, which is like the next step. So then I sent her my whole book. And then it took her six months to get back to me. And in July of 2014, she called me and she said, I'd like to represent you. Now, the thing with agents is that once they've offered representation, they they, essentially it's like an agreement that they'll represent anything you write going forward. So, um, so you never have to look again, which is beautiful. Um, Unless, you know, you professionally decide to split ways or something like that for the most part if the relationship works for you, then they'll represent all of your writing work going forward. So it's a huge thing to be able to get an agent in the writing world. And then once you do, they can get you into the door for um, major publishers. And so we signed a deal in uh, we signed our contract in July. And then by November, she had gotten me into my a, pump, a publishing company that wanted to sign my first book. So it actually wanted to sign it for two books. They did the first book and then it was released in May of 2015. And then we signed for a second one, the follow the sequel the following year. But the company at that point over the last couple of years has really declined. Um, it's been in the press as well, but it just hasn't been doing that well. And there's been a lot of shady things going on. So eventually I did uh, a, a 
a reversal of rights, which basically means previously I had given them my rights to publish the book. So I gave them all of my rights to the things that I had written. And then I took them back essentially. And I pulled out of the contract, which pulled my books from my book from the shelves, but I already had a deal with another major publisher. So it was kind of like, all right, that's a hit I'm going to take because I'm coming up with a different book deal anyway. So I landed my second book deal in 2015, uh, I'm sorry, 2017. And it's been rewritten twice, which no one will tell you as being a writer is like the really sucky part is if your editor is like, this wasn't that great, do it again. Um, so I finally, finally am finishing up the edits um, on this first book. And it's finally moving through the editing process, thank God. And it'll be released next year. So that's sort of this long drawn out six year story of how I got published and how I became a writer to begin with. Yep, that's exciting. But I know like, you know, nobody tells you how complex that process is. And as you said, like rewriting the whole thing, like I can only imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, rewriting the whole thing was painful. There was a point, multiple points, I'm not gonna lie, multiple points where I was just like, take your money back and I just will forget this whole book deal ever happened. It's fine, just take all the money you paid me and enjoy it and keep it in your locked up little safe because I don't want to do this anymore. Um, but luckily this last, this last version of the book was approved. Um, my editor also changed. And so this new editor was like, no, there's a way that we can fix this. And I was like, oh, thank God. Um, so that was great. And you know, writing is still my first love. It's still the thing I love to do the most in a perfect world. I'd be doing it full time. Um, not quite there, obviously it takes four to five books at least to typically get enough of an income generated by writing to, um, remotely even sustain yourself so um so it's going to take a couple more years I think before I can get to that point but it's been an amazing journey and getting my first book deal I was 27 so at that point you know to be able to to get there felt like a massive accomplishment because I was on the younger side of things at that time so it's been it's been really fun Yep, that's exciting. And I um, liked how you talked about when you went on master's program, like there wasn't time to focus on it. Because I know like growing up, I used to read a lot and I used to write a lot too. Like I was known as the nerd in my family who had like, <laughs> a big shelf of books and, you know, who used to write all the time. And then I came to college and then all I wrote was like papers. And it's just like... Yeah, all of these behind me have totally come from, you know, just years of getting free books as being a writer, which is a great perk, but also um, post-grad. I didn't do any of it. I didn't accumulate this collection of books behind me until, you know, post-college. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, can you talk a little bit about like what kind of writing do you do? So like, is there like with your previous book and this book deal, is there, a, you know, a theme to the kind of writing that you do? Or are they completely different? Yeah, so my first book was not really autobiographical, although it kind of worked out to be. It wasn't intentional, um, but it was a, a love story. It was a really quiet, gentle love story about, you know, an, an Indian girl who falls in love with an American in college and her parents are not okay with it. And, you know, the typical kind of <laughs> sweet little love story. And it wasn't particularly woke and it wasn't particularly, you know, like socially it wasn't really much of a social commentary at all. It was just sort of a, a nice, beautiful little story. And this next book deal that I have is also for theoretically a romance, um, but it's three books and it's about a group of friends. They're Indian American friends and they all live in New York City. 
each of them has their own personality and each one is going to get a book that they feature in and each of them will have like a love story that's also culturally conflicted but not necessarily in the ways that you would think like it won't necessarily be you know um boy meets girl they have a problem and they break up and they get back together it's like not necessarily exactly like that but they're all influenced by the fact that we all have these mixed identities now that we live here so um so yeah i initially did not want to be a south asian focused author i just wanted to write whatever came to mind um the manuscripts that i'm working on right now uh that i still have to send to my agent one of them is a south asian protagonist and it's kind of a family saga and more women's fiction and then the other one is also women's fiction slash adult fiction. Mm-hmm. So uh, right so far, I've been kind of contemporary romance, and now I'm moving into women's fiction more. That's exciting. I think um, just seeing that representation increase, I think, is amazing. And just kind of um, moving into that topic. So I know. So I actually grew up in India. I came here for like school, and uh, growing up, I never really read. Um, books by South Asian authors and I think it, it goes back to the fact that everything is very Eurocentric like in schools like in yeah. school literally read Harry Potter which I love but yeah, my favorite my favorite I'm obsessed <laughs> but, but I would have loved like you know looking back on it now I would have loved to read something you know from someone um, who I could see myself as or in that um identity zone but coming when i came here i you know became more aware of my identity as well because i was seeing what was happening around me and i came here in 2016 which was just you know an election year so things were <laughs> <Yeah>, things <laughs> were a little spicy by the time you got here yeah <laughs> yeah so i think um over the years like i have read more books by South Asian authors like I'm reading a book called The Henna Artist right now I'm not sure yeah yeah it's uh Hello Sunshine I think uh, or you know Reese's Book Club I think yeah. is named it yeah yeah so I'm reading that and it's like um set in Jaipur which is where I'm from so it's oh just- nice I just went there for the first time a couple of years ago it's such a beautiful yeah. place yeah so I've been like seeing that a little more but um as you being an author in the field what's your view on like South Asian representation in like um, the book field? It's incredible. Literature is really opened up. I think when I was growing up, uh, there's a book called Born Confused by Tanuja Desai Heidi, I think is how you say her last name. And it was the first young adult book with a South Asian protagonist. And it came out when I was 15. So, and I'm not that old. I like, you know, some people can call me old, but I'm not that old. So honestly, it's like, you know, that's 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. The, you know, or 20 years ago that that first book came out. And that is really sad because at that point, 20 years ago, there were a lot of South Asians in the U.S. And so since then, that was the only book. That was the only point of reference. In fact, I carried that book around in my backpack for my entire 10th grade year because it was the only one that reminded me of me. And so coming from there to now, you know, 20 years later and being a writer, the field has opened up, but there's always room. And it's like I said before, you know, the point of being on the stage is not to take up the stage, but to make it bigger so you can bring other people on. And I think that South Asian writers do a beautiful job of that. Mm -hmm. And there has been just this explosion just in the last five, seven years uh, since even I got my book deal. Uh, it's been just an, a sheer push towards people trying to own their own voice 
and South Asians talking about being South Asian, as opposed to maybe a white woman writing a story about a brown woman. Mm -hmm. So there's been a giant push. It can always be better. There's always room for improvement. There's always room for more diversity, even within the South Asian population, putting more queer South Asian characters on paper, putting more, you know, um, neurodiversity on paper, putting more, you know, people of different abilities and people, uh, you know, with like, you know, just different kinds of, you know, body forms, you know, everything. There's so many different things that you can put on paper that I think that the world still needs to see. But looking back and how far we've come, we've come a long way, but there's still a long way to go. Yeah. And I think that's true in like a lot of fields. Um, And going back to what you were talking about earlier, like, you know, these Facebook groups and the internet, I know I'm in one Facebook group that's like for like, writers like Mm -hmm. I think South Asian writers and I think there are going to be great books and you know things coming out of that you just think like the internet connecting us all and creating a community that like supports each other I think that would just like empower more people um to like do it as well so 100% and you know I think there's a lot of fear to Prior to, you know, maybe the last 10, 15 years, there was a lot of fear of people going into creative careers who were South Asian because they were like, oh, just you always have to have a backup. I'm pretty sure that every writer I know does have a backup and every single one of us has done something that wasn't writing in terms of our career. But, you know, I think it's becoming more acceptable. I think that the floor is getting bigger. I think people are finally saying, oh, no, I'm doing this. I finally just letting go of all this expectation and just writing what I want to do and writing and having fun with it. So, you know, the stories are coming out and I'm really hoping that it gets bigger and better over the coming years. I'm sure it will too. Yep. So I know you talked about this a little bit, but um, what were some of the challenges during the writing process or like finding a publisher and an agent, like that whole process? Because I definitely know that there are so many more manuscripts than there are books. Um, I've just seen that, but like, yeah. <laughs> you know, about, like, you know, people I know, and it's it's not the easiest process. Um, so yeah, just experience with that. So I went into it relatively naively, which I kind of feel like now is a trend in my life is that before I ju- make the jump, I just don't pay attention to what the statistics are of success and I just do it, which I think quietly works in my favor, but with writing, I have read as many as a million manuscripts float around and one gets picked up. I have also read that until you get 80 rejections from an agent or from 80 agents rejecting you, you should not rewrite your work because that's like how many subjective and, you know, people are going to be looking at your work and 80 opinions. If all of them say no, then maybe it's time to rework your manuscript. But if, you know, if you send it out to 80, a good chunk might say yes, if the manuscript is really good. So that's been challenging to, because it is such a subjective field. Writing and reading, if you ask any reader, what do you like? You'll get a totally different response from each person. So that's, that's tough to navigate because there's no kind of mark or no specific milestone that you can meet that says, yes, this is a good quality book. There's people who hate bestsellers out there, you know, so that's, that's tough. It's just tough to have like a, a really good mark or clear indicator that you're talented enough to do this. So that was the most challenging thing, I think, for me. And then getting in the door for publishers, luckily I had an agent, but if you don't have an agent, sometimes that can be really difficult unless you self-publish. There's just different routes and you have to decide what works for you when you're publishing. And that 
was sort of a different challenge. I early on was like, I need an agent and I need to go traditional. There's no way I can manage this by myself. <laughs> but I have a friend who is, she's a mom of four and an Air Force pilot's wife. And she is constantly busy and she has self-published 40 books and she now makes more money than her Air Force husband. Wow. <laughs> so I am blown away. You know, people make it work for themselves. So I would say the challenge was finding what was right for me and following through on that. And then also setting the bar and knowing I'm talented or knowing that someone will like my work and not setting it by all the people that won't because there's going to be plenty of those. Yeah, I think that's good. Like um, the AD publisher thing, like don't feel bad about the rejection because it's subjective. Like both movies, anything that's in the creative field, like everyone has different opinions. So yeah, but it can be tough too because, you know, it's, it's just draining. I feel. Yeah, it absolutely is. No one wants to hear that they didn't get what they wanted to get, you know, and no one wants to hear, oh, well, this is great, but sorry, it just wasn't right for me. I mean, eventually it grates on you and you're like, oh my God, what is wrong with me? Can I actually do this? You know, and so, um, you know, no one likes rejection at all, but, um, but you know, it's, it's unfortunately just part of the gig. Yeah. So just kind of to wrap up this episode, um, I would love to hear some recommendations for like podcasts or books that you like. And, you know, these can be like anything like the floor. Okay, good. Because I'm really, really bad with listening to a ton of podcasts. I actually listen to Crime Junkie more than anything else. Mm -hmm. Um, which secretly might make people think I'm like a serial killer, but it's like the most addictive podcast I think out there. And I haven't listened to it through lockdown because my routine has been so disrupted, um, which I'm sure everybody can relate to, but Crime Junkie is great. Their storytelling is amazing. They just go through case by case, different murders and different crimes that have happened. And it's like the most amazing thing ever. Um, Nahal is also really obsessed with that. We talk about this a lot. It's probably not normal how much we talk about really disturbing things when it comes to this stuff. <laughs> um, other podcasts, Girl Boss um, by Sophia Maruso. She is the CEO of Nasty Gal, and she interviews a lot of really powerful women who have built their businesses from scratch, and I think that's really inspiring to listen to. And uh, she just does an amazing job. I listen to Jay Shetty occasionally. My brother likes his podcast. And so sometimes when we're in the car, he'll put it on. Um, But I don't habitually listen to that. So I can't really say a whole lot. But his episodes that I have listened to have been all right. Um, In terms of book recommendations, especially by South Asian authors, I feel like I'm so involved with work that I never really have a lot of drama because I just focused and then I go to bed. So I live vicariously through like drama shows and drama books. And so Sonali Dev writes amazing, really saucy South Asian stories that are like family sagas and women's fiction and romance all rolled into one. And uh, her first couple of books were absolutely my favorite. I read her and I was addicted. Now we're on a first name basis. We're actually friends and I still fangirl every time she says my name. Um, I love Nisha Sharma. She's a friend of mine as well. And I'm so totally, totally selling out all my friends right now. But uh, she actually, she's very, very talented. She wrote a book called My So-Called Bollywood Life. And it's a young adult. Yeah, it's a young adult. And it just got picked up for um, adaptation. And um, 
another book that's not actually South Asian. The author is South Asian, but the book itself doesn't really deal with um, any South Asian issues. It's about ballet. Is uh, Sona Charipotra, and she writes her and Danielle Clayton. They own a literary agency and kind of um, book boutique store, a uh, book boutique agency, and they um, wrote this book called Tiny Pretty Things and shiny broken pieces and there's two books and it's about like the ballet school so if you watched center stage growing up or save the last dance this is like totally your kind of book and um it also got picked up for netflix recently um so it'll be debuting i believe this fall actually um and there's just so many other writers that are just absolutely phenomenal that are south asian samira ahmed um writes a lot of books about um muslim, being muslim and um thanaz badina is an amazing writer as well there's just so many i feel like i could just give you a list i should just i should actually just send you the blog post that i've written about these books because there's probably like 30 or 40 books by south asian writers and they're all amazing so i would love to because i recently read this book i like randomly went to my university library picked it up and it's called Lucky Boy. I'm forgetting the author's name, but it has the most interesting concept. So it was essentially like the South Asian couple are trying to have a baby, but they aren't able to conceive. And then on the other side, so it's from like two perspectives. And the other perspective is of um, a Mexican woman who comes into the country. She has a kid, but then she's getting deported. Um, and then, so the South Asian couple adopts the kid, not knowing, you know, what the history is. And then it just shows both sides of the story. And it was really interesting because these are both minority cultures. And so you had that aspect to it. And it just opened my eyes. So it sounds amazing. That sounds like a really, really timely story, given that our populations are very different, but similar in the immigrant experience in some regards, and then very different in terms of deportation and how they're handled um, with legality and the system and things like that. So that sounds amazing. I'm probably going to have to go look that up now. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's all I had for you. But thank you so much. I know, like, as a fellow podcast lover and you know book lover and hopefully writer someday like i learned a lot from you um, and i'm sure a lot of people listening to this will as well oh thank you for having me and if any of your listeners ever want to reach out by all means you know my social media is at anika sharma on instagram so just reach out there and i'm relatively prompt with getting back on instagram for whatever reason email for whatever reason takes me forever but Instagram, I'm pretty good about. Um, so that's a good place to reach me if anybody has any questions. But thank you so much for having me and just having such a wonderful chat. It was such a nice way to spend my evening. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know I learned a lot, you know, about the podcast world, which is like something I, you know, have been on the creator end of it for a few months, but I'm still learning a lot as well as, you know, being an author because growing up, I always loved writing and, you know, saying that, oh, I want to write a book and get it published seems so easy, but there's so much that goes into it. Um, and I really want to thank Anika for, you know, sharing all of this information. So I'll be putting all her links, like with her Instagram, with the Workplaces Instagram, with her website, everything down in the description box. So you can check those out over there as well as my social media links as well, 
as well where you can connect with me um i would love to chat with you about what you thought of the episode if you have any feedback positive or critical please reach out to me because i'm looking to improve and i have a lot of great guests coming up uh i really want to make an effort to bring out the best of the best for you and i promise that's what it's going to be um so i once again i hope you enjoyed this and i will see you next time or i will talk to you next time i guess so please please take care and talk to you soon until then bye bye